Hey, welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm joined around the table with Paul Siemens and Andy Steiger. Good to be here. Yeah, me too. Good to have you guys here. Do you know it's funny? It's been a while. It has been a while. For me too. I know. You guys are both on here because usually we have Greg and Jeff, but both of them canceled on us last minute. Um, bums. And as this kind of goes, you know, in the radio business, Andy, mm. uh, in the radio business, the goes, people Daniel. cancel. You got to find new people. And thankfully, we get to bring back some veterans to the show. Been on the bench, Daniel, and it's uh, good to be back. Yeah. Uh, actually, I, I have to be back to, in the country, isn't it? Yeah, Andy? I haven't been around for a while. Yeah. But, Where'd you go? Uh, I was off in uh, Korea, South Korea, in fact. Uh, we were doing some filming for the Human Project, which went fantastic. Uh, they didn't want to bring you to North North Korea to help with that. <laughs> no, they didn't no, want right? to talk about human rights. And up there. do you sell any of your Human Project <laughs> mugs there? Too? Uh, yeah, I was out there hawking Human Project mugs. You oh, know what? Perfect. By the way, this mug honestly gets a lot of uh, a lot of interest. I've had a lot of people ask me for a Human Project mug. I, you know, I'm thinking I might need to get these released before March. Hmm. People need a mug, Daniel. They do need a human product. I like mug. it. I like it. It's and got so the you were hands in, kind of I, reaching way, across towards each other, like yeah, Meekin and H. Or, or, yeah, yeah. And it, my mom. But it's didn't. also that kind of reaching towards friendship. Towards. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were thinking that. I was. I was. Nice. Nice. Uh, my mom thought it was just some random piece of artwork, which was great. Mm-hmm. Glad to know mm-hmm. that it totally escaped her attention. That that's mm-hmm. an H with hands, but <laughs> sure is. Uh, yeah, so that was good. We while we were filming, you know, some people thought we were just there to interview Pastor Lee from the, sure. the movie The Dropbox, and we we did interview him, which was fantastic. It was great to mm. hear his story and to learn about the incredible ministry that he's doing there, um, rescuing abandoned children. But uh, but we were actually there filming a, a short story. So we in in between filming the short story, uh, we were there with uh, Power to Change. By the way. And we were working with Campus Crusade for Christ Korea. Uh, we we did this interview. So yeah, man, it was it was great, and I'm looking forward to seeing this come out. the The question that we were dealing with was what leads to human flourishing, and so we were telling uh, basically a story about this couple that's giving up on relationship, and it's a a theme that is quite true of what's going on in Korea right now. And in fact, this was interesting while I was there. Um, Steve Kim came with me, and he he obviously speaks Korean, so he was translating. But they were saying that in Korea, they have an acronym to describe this culture, their culture, their young adults. Oh. And it's called the, the, the culture that's given up on the five. Now, it, they're called the culture that's given up on everything. But the five main things are uh, giving up on a job, giving up on dating, giving up on marriage, giving up on children, and giving up on a home. And so it was interesting too, though, because when we were taking a taxi uh, on one of our last days, without you know not even being prompt, the taxi driver started talking to Steve. And apparently in Korean they have this word uh, for that means human beauty. Mm. And he was talking about how Korea is losing its human be- beauty, and and the reason he was saying that was because the culture is becoming so competitive that people don't see each other's humanity any longer. They just see each other as competition. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I think it's quite telling because often if we want to know where we're going as a culture, you often look to places like, you know, Japan or, or Seoul, you know, South Korea and, and these other, you know, technologically advanced places, and they really are. Uh, and, and, and I think that that is a challenge that we're gonna, we are dealing with and we will continue to deal with mm-hmm. uh, a culture that, that is giving up on each other. 
And you see that, by the way, with just how connected they are with their devices. Um, in Korea, they have over 300 digital addiction rehab centers to help, wow. to help people, you know, re-engage in society again. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's, it's absolutely a mess. And it was, I'll just tell you one other story. We were filming this one scene with the guy getting into a subway train. And you would have thought, you know, when you see it, it'll, it'll creep you out because you would have thought we paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, to rent this subway station and, and you know, set up this scene where, it, I mean, people almost look like mannequins as our actor got into the subway and the entire train is full of people glued to their devices. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was almost two on the mark. It was, it was quite, mm. it was quite disturbing actually. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, you know, um, there's like professional gaming like leagues, like in terms of, uh, I can't remember the name, but you've got like games like Dota, which is, I don't remember what that stands for, D-O-T-A, that's an acronym for something. But even in, even in the U.S., you can go down to Seattle and you can go to Key Arena and there will be 10,000 people there watching guys play their video games. So this isn't I've, even I, yeah, play, heard of that. This isn't 10,000 people playing video games. This is 10,000 spectators watching guys play their video games and South Korea is one of the biggest um, proponents of this um, guys who are professional game players are are like celebrities like 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 LeBron James is here or like Wayne Gretzky or uh, Connor McDavid are here that's how these gamers are over there and so for what you're talking about to that kind of speaks to that right Mm -hmm. like people aren't interacting with other people. They're interacting with their screens and then they're even, even what they want to watch. They want to watch other people on screens. It was interesting. I think Daniel, you and I were talking about this, that right now that there are more people that, that tend to play video games, like sports video games than are watching sports. Yeah. I think this, it was a weird stat where from ages 15 to 20, Mid twenties, something like that. It's, mm-hmm. I I don't know the exact stat. More people play the FIFA video game yeah. than actually play soccer in real life. And I totally wow. found this true when I was at university. I remember hearing because I played a little is bit of college like in the West, or is that worldwide? I think it's worldwide, really? yeah, anywhere there's video game reach. Wow. And so I remember, he, or more, you know, it's more people play the video game than watch the sport. That was the stat. Oh, okay. And so you would have like I would meet people when I was playing football in Chicago who I would talk to them and say, "Oh man, so who's your NFL team?" And they would say, oh, I, I don't watch NFL. But they play a ton of Madden. Like, they play the video game. Right. And so it's like the the, the NFL league only exists mm-hmm. to fill the spots in the game. Mm-hmm. So the friends, like, they can get better at the video game mm-hmm. yeah. to beat their friends. And that kind of goes to be, yeah. like, this co- culture of competition. We just want to be better than everyone. Yeah, didn't you tell me that there there are, like, you you know, YouTube channels out there where you can just watch other people playing these games there to are. learn how to be better. There are, yeah. I mean, there's channels where people will live stream, and so they'll interact with the comments that people are typing in, but people get to watch and study these very good gamers and learn how to become better gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, while also, I mean, a lot of these people have, uh, they make money off their YouTube channels, so this is, they are making a full living. Yeah. But uh, there's wow. like tons of kids, like every day there's people who are just starting channels hoping to make yeah. like a business out of, YouTube, because how it works is if you have enough followers, enough viewers, uh, you can have ads placed on your videos. So right, uh, yeah, through Google, right. yeah. And so the more people who see the ad, the more money mm-hmm. that you make. Mm-hmm. And, and so, it's, is it that surprising that that people want to play the video game rather than watch it? Because yeah. honestly, watching a, 
an NFL game in real time, the amount of commercials, the amount of stoppages of play. I mean, it's a good Sunday afternoon nap activity, yeah. right? <laughs> like, like it's not much yeah. better than golf. Often, often my buddies who watch it do so with fast forward. Right? Totally, I, they're yes. constantly yeah. fast set your PVR yeah. and you you start watching it halfway, like at halftime, and then yeah, you can fast right. forward your commercials. And well, my dad and I do that. We do um, we'll totally. record the game, mm-hmm. and then it's a thirty second skip button. And so yeah. pretty much as soon as the guy gets tackled, you hit skip and it'll almost be right to the beginning. <laughs> it's almost perfect. Yeah. It's almost perfect. For yeah. most Unless teams. they're in the hurry up. Uh, yeah. Then you have issues. But then you have like, cause that's an interesting thought too, that it, you know, it takes like, it's a three and a half hour commitment to watch an NFL game. Yeah. Or it is a 15 minute commitment to play an NFL game. Right. Online. Cause you can, you can set your quarters yeah, to like three minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. The, by the way, for those listening, particularly parents, if you want more information about this, cause uh, learning how to parent your children on digital devices is incredibly important. Uh, and I would recommend uh, a book called uh, Glow Children. Uh, it came out not too long ago. Uh, great research and definitely will give you a lot to think about as you're parenting your, your children and even truthfully, uh, even yourself, right, on your devices and what is uh, healthy uh, digital use and what is not. And there's also actually a really good... Um there's some good information on a website called ccef.org. Uh, and there's a podcast that just came out. It's about half an hour long called Children and Technology uh, with Julie Lowe. And Julie Lowe is a, a certified biblical counselor, and she does a great job talking about this. Do you know where she's from by chance? Um, no, I do not, Andy. What was her name again? Uh, her name's Julie Lowe. CCEF's headquarters. Andy has his phone out and he's currently yeah. writing it down. This must be good. Friends, you're going to want to listen to this. Great. And figure out who Julie Thanks, Lowe Paul. is. Yeah, and, you bet. And uh, watch that. Yeah. Well, guys, I want to. Th- here's another topic I want to talk about then. It's slightly related to what we were just talking about mm-hmm. with the NFL. Now, Andy, I know you're not much of a sports guy. I know that as far as NFL goes, you, Tom Brady. You quoted him in your book, by the I, way. I did, you? man. I hey, listen. Brady, I don't watch a lot of sports. Or but, thinking, but I am a fan of Brady. Thinking. All right, mm. I'm on the Tom train. Yeah. I think he's the yeah. greatest quarterback who ever. So, how lived. many Super Bowls has he won, Andy? Dude, Too I'll many. have you know that he. <laughs> I know that he's won four. Wow, maybe five. Is it? What Which is one it? is it? Which one is it, Andy? I'm not sure now. Oh. <laughs> I did know. I know that in the book I quote him from CNN where he. Uh, or for 60 Minutes, where he had three, and I know that now he has four. But I think he has got five, man. He has five now, yeah. yeah. Okay, yes. After last year, yeah. Thank you. What, five wins, three losses? Is that what yeah. it is? five wins, three losses. Yeah. So Pretty quickly, could have been a lot of losses, too, if not for oh, some well, last-minute field goals. Last, well, I think of last year and then the one against the Seahawks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But uh, that's not what we want to talk about. We're not here to okay. talk about Tom Brady. No. We're here to talk about the protests that are going on in the NFL. Yeah. And for I think for people who don't really know what's happening, you may notice that this has been going on for over a year, I believe. Yeah. Since last year, yeah. there was a lot well, of tension. Well, this has been going on for a year. Yeah. So well, last it, season. It, yeah, it was a lot more mild, right? You, you had mm-hmm. one guy start it. Colin Kaepernick was the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, and he decided to start taking a knee due to, due, um, during the anthem rather than standing, which isn't, you know, I know people got really worked up over it, but it was like, you know, he's not leaving the field. He's not turning his back. Like there were other ways that could have been a lot more. 
Legally, um, it's it's a form of public protest that he's yes. allowed to have. He has that right. For sure. And he has his convictions, and so he's following through on his convictions. Right. And so, right. you know, people would say all the power to him. And his point was basically that for the African-American, the uh, especially in the South, but in the U.S., for, for African-Americans US living down there. U.S. or inner city. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There are still elements of racism that come through. Uh, in a systemic way, particularly when dealing with police, things like this. Uh, and and he was protesting that because, I mean, we saw over the last couple of years, we've seen so many videos online of police shooting guys, uh, some in, a, in an act of that was justified based on the law, but some definitely not. Mm-hmm. And some of the guys who were killed, um, some of the black men who were killed, illegally by these policemen, the policemen in those cases were then let off mm-hmm. and got off on some kind of a, I, mean, I don't, I don't know the details of all the different cases, but they, they ended up not getting punished for yeah. their actions, even though what they did was, yeah. was murder. Totally. So, so you had Colin Kaepernick kneeling in protest of this, yeah. whether you support that or not, like here it is, That's, yeah. these are the facts, right? And there was a lot of there was a lot of backlash because it's he was directly I think supporting Black Lives Matter and a lot of people aren't a fan of that mm-hmm. just how they go about operating and, mm-hmm. and their type of protests. Sure, and when you see people reacting to certain things, I mean, there's always it always starts off with a, a massive reaction, right? Like the pendulum swings a little too far, maybe, hmm. and maybe that was what was there that was what was happening with Black Lives Matters. Maybe that maybe yeah. it still does that way, but in reality. Uh, what black people have to face living, particularly when we lived in Florida, talking with our friends from down there, uh, we got down there right after the Trayvon Martin shooting and after that trial had just finished uh, while we were there. And that happened in the county just north of where we were. So there was a lot of people talking about that and and about the verdict and all that stuff. Our seminary, RTS, um, held a joint... um, meeting with um, one of the churches nearby, one of the African-American churches, and they, they had a joint meeting to pray for the community to, and do all these things, um, to get together as an act of unity, because RTS is a very, I mean, white Protestant school traditionally, and they, want, they don't want to be seen as that, though. They want to be seen as, listen, like we care about all people that are made in God's image. We believe black people are made in the image of God. And we want more people to come to understand God in His wholeness, in His, in His, in who He is. This is God is not racist. Mm-hmm. God is not black, white. Like that's right, right? Like God made us whatever color skin we are, whatever our eyes look like, whatever our lips look like. We are made in His image, mm-hmm. and and this is something that has been uh, not recognized essentially in the South. Right, that's that's how they even justified slavery. Totally, is they justified it in that they would they would affirm what you just said, Paul. They would have said, yes, absolutely, all people are made in the image of God, but those aren't people. Right. And well, even Darwin's book. That's right. The Everybody original forgets, title, right? That, they forget the subtitle. Yes. On the origin of species, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it by natural selection or for the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Yeah, right. And uh, that's the title that they forget, which, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, it was Darwin's half-cousin, Francis Galton, who picked that up and would coin the term eugenics. 
uh, which is wow, Greek really? for well-born. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, at the heart of this is truly is dehumanization, right? Totally. Yes. And, and at the heart of Christianity, though, is humanization, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. And this is one of the things I love about Christianity yeah. is here the Bible's, you know, in verse 26 and 27 of chapter one of Genesis, the Bible says, listen, it says it twice. You were made in the image of God and then says it a second time, both male and female are made in the image of God. Yes. Uh, and, you know, you know, in Hebrew, that does two things. One is it, it's like an exclamation point when you when you uh, yeah. say it twice. Repeated. Yeah. yeah, when you repeat. But then it's making it crystal clear that both men and women are equal in God's eyes. Yeah, right. And that they have been equally made in God's image. And this is an interesting aspect of Christianity that a lot of people don't fully appreciate. Is it means then that your view of humanity is directly tied to your view of God. Mm-hmm. So the greater your view of God, the greater your view of humanity, and the lower your view of God, the lower your view of humanity, if wow. you're made in the image of God. Right. And when you get that, then all of a sudden the Ten Commandments make a lot more sense when you see God taking the first four of those commandments and concerned about your view of him. Yeah. It's not because God has an identity crisis. Right. It's that God understands that your view of him is going to directly correlate to your view of each other. So you can mm-hmm. imagine then... I, th- I, I often think about in Egypt when you have um, the Israelites that have come out of Egypt. Sorry, I'm thinking of Exodus. Yeah. And what do they do? They go and they make an image of God as what? Calf. Yeah, this golden calf, right? Yeah. And it's like, really, is that how highly you think of yourself? Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, like that's it. And, mm. But Christianity is very concerned that you have a high view of God mm-hmm. because a, a high view of God correlates to a high view of humanity. That makes sense. Even when you look at the 20th century then, and if you think about that, if you have a high view of God, you have a high view of humanity, and you think about the murderous regimes of the Soviet Union, Mao's China, or Pol Pot, mm-hmm. right? You look at the massive devastation that they cause to humanity in those revolutions and subsequent years of rule. Yeah. And all they viewed, uh, they viewed the state as the ultimate. They didn't view humanity as being valuable. All you were valuable for was to do something for the state. In fact, Mao famously quoted for saying that the Chinese people was like a blank page that he could write whatever he whatever characters he wanted. I mean, that's how he viewed them is just just like you're saying, they're just a blank page. So when we think of this whole thing about the the protesting happening um, and people. And then you get Trump making the comments this yeah, weekend. So that was the recent right? thing. Was, Which is what caused all of these teams to protest. Yeah. So it, I, to what Trump basically said was there were more and more players around the league who uh, started kneeling and stuff mm-hmm. kind of this season and towards the end of last season. Yeah. And uh, Trump went to a rally in Alabama or something like that. Yep. And started saying, you know, they, those SOBs mm-hmm. should be fired by yep. their owners for kneeling when the flag is going. And you hear the right. eruption of you know what is middle class America mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, and so you have the one side, and then you get more teams protesting. You have uh, you know coaches and owners and stuff saying, you know what, Trump, if that's how it's going to be, we're yeah. going to like we're going to protest. Yeah, and so they've declared war on Trump. Yeah, but then both Republican and Democratic yeah. people, by the way, yeah. not yeah. just this but, isn't. But uh, then on the other hand, yeah. though, you have people who are saying, actually, no, Trump's finally giving us a voice. The, the people in the middle who say, you know what, I've had family members who have died fighting for this flag, and it means a lot to me. And so for a lot of people, it's like if you're kneeling during this, this national anthem, mm-hmm. that's like that's detrimental to my family mm-hmm. and, and my legacy. Anyways, my, the reason I wanted to bring this up yeah. is 
like with the dehumanization thing where we dehumanize humans, it's like you can't even hold an opinion anymore without mm-hmm. dehumanizing the other person. Like there's mm-hmm. no middle ground here. Right. You can't say like it's almost you can't say that I you know, I, I see what's going on here, um, and I am kneeling, but I'm for both sides. Like you can't. Mm-hmm. It's you're one or the other. And, um, what do you how do you fix this? How do you deal with this? Well, it just so happens that last night I was reading um Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, letter from a Birmingham prison. If you've ever had a mm. chance to read that letter, it's mm. uh, amazing. But in it, he he brings up that same point, Daniel. He says, "Listen, I realize that this isn't this this protesting isn't good timing." And he's saying, "Listen, I know that you've got your issues and we've got our issues." And he says, "But he's saying, but when is a good time to start protesting?" When people are being abused and murdered, and mm-hmm. we've got going on what we have going on, and so he's saying, "Listen, there is no good time to protest, and and we can't wait. We need to we need to just protest. We need to deal with this." And so, in my opinion, I think, I think you know one of the one of the privileges you have in a free country is to protest, mm-hmm. and I think that one right. of the aspects of protesting is to bring up issues that are going on in a culture that need to be addressed. And more and more, we have embraced a culture that doesn't talk to each other anymore. And I, and I think, to me, this protesting is, is good in that we do need to start talking with each other, and yeah. we do need to start working through yeah. what's going on here, and to be honest and say, okay, do we have a problem in our legal system? Do we have a problem with our police officers, for example? And if we do, then let's solve that. Let's work to to fix this, right? Now that's part that becomes part of my concern though, is when you have people that just protest to protest and they yeah. don't under, even understand what they're protesting. They're no longer True. talking to each other. They're just talking past each other. Yeah. And it's so much noise. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's the how do we mend that? I'm looking at the care pastor right now. <laughs> <laughs> how do we mend this? Um well yeah, I was just I mean, I was just thinking about still along the lines of number one as people so for for me as a white guy who was born and raised in Abbotsford like Mennonite Central right you, you know what I'm saying here right like Abbotsford I know has is a lot more colorful these days but growing up just very white very Christian and and these ideas were just were kind of foreign like these whole things thinking about, well, yeah, slavery was so far in the past. Like, Abraham Lincoln abolished that, so what's the big deal? Well, I mean, it took a 100 years to get to the point where Martin Luther King Jr. was able to lead that kind of a protest, and he still got killed for it, mm-hmm. right? So you've got, like, a whole hundred, whole century passes where, yes, these people are technically free, but the systems in place were not showing their true freedom of who they were. And so now here we are, another, what, 50 years later, 50 whatever years later, and still now you have guys, my friend grew up in Florida, and still now you have him uh, getting pulled over because he drove a Mercedes, because he's a black man driving a Mercedes in Miami, so you must be up to no good. Hmm. And so he's a... Christian guy, he loves the Lord, loves his family, and he has to get out of his car. He's got to put his hands on the hood. He's got to endure a pat down because he knows, he's been told from when he was a kid, do not resist. Do not resist because these cops will make sure that you are punished for it. Mm -hmm. And so here we are, right? 150 years since uh, black people have been officially granted 
freedom by the government, but they really aren't. They don't really have lives of freedom. Mm. And now, does that mean that does that mean that they should react violently or anything like? No, you you have a right to peaceful protest, which is what we're seeing people do. But then when you get the political leaders stepping into that and saying, oh, they shouldn't do that and they should be fired for it. Mm. I mean, you're just alienating people even more. So I think what we can do as people who aren't really entrenched in that where we are, but what white people can do all over North America is just try to understand the history. Try to understand the history of what's happened and how if your people had been treated historically like this by the government, how would you be feeling right now? And try to put yourself in their shoes and understand and empathize with what's going on, uh, first of all. So try to do that. But then also understand the implications that the gospel should have on this. And the wonderful tradition we have as Christians of a robust you know, robust history of people that have sought to humanize and yes. to fight against dehumanization. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. We haven't always got it right. There, you know, we've had our we've had our issues, but by and That's large, sure. uh, we have a wonderful tradition of fighting dehumanization. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you think of William Wilberforce. Yeah. Right. Even in terms of animal rights, he was the first guy to bring rights about animals to the government because stopping people from beating their horses too much. And I, even in my own research, I've been amazed. You know, this goes uh, way back. I mean, we go mm-hmm. to Augustine. Mm-hmm. Um, Gregory of Nyssa. I mean, th- we've been fighting slavery mm-hmm. and many other things mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Cool. So yeah, in all those traditions of all those guys, um, you've got great Christian men who have really led the way in terms of the humanization against dehumanization. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Paul, I know you don't have a whole lot of time here. If you no, gotta take I've off, got a meeting. He's yeah. got a meeting. So, you know, if you got to take off, this is a live radio show. So we'll say goodbye to Paul. Should, do, should we, do we want to keep going or do we just We keep going because I want to ask you some stuff, Andy. We got some more time here. Andy's not, Andy's scared. Sure, we got a little bit more time. We got a little bit more time. Do you, are you okay you alone with this. Daniel? Are you, are you sure? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Okay. I'm a little scared. <laughs> you can hold, hold on to your mug, dude. All okay. right. Be careful. Bye-bye. Thanks, Paul. Andy, um, now it's just me and you. Just the two of us. Just a, just a little conversation. It's getting lonely just in here. A, just a little conversation. Back and forth. I want to pick your brain a little bit on this question here. Uh, you, you had a question kind of addressed to you, sent in, and asking the, what is the difference between someone who becomes a Christian and does nothing about it? Is that person saved? Or like, or so the difference between that person and the person who actually does works? Mm-hmm. Because we, we know that, well, we're justified in Christ, right? And we're righteous in him. Uh, but if we don't do anything about that, are we still saved? Like, for example, someone who becomes a Christian but lies as a vegetable in a hospital bed. They didn't do any good works. Are they Christian? Right. And I think the—so, I mean, that one we can just easily deal with, right? Because we would say, listen, of course they're a Christian because being a Christian isn't about what you do. It's about what God's done. And we are saved not by our works but by his. We're saved by grace and that grace is a, is a free gift that we freely receive. We can't, we can't earn it. And the, in the same way, I mean, you can't earn your spouse's love. I mean, if you were to try to earn their love, I mean, it wouldn't be love any longer, right? I mean, it wouldn't be grace any longer. 
So, I mean, with somebody like a vegetable or something like that, I mean, somebody who is in a catatonic state, uh, clearly they're, they're, they're saying because it's, if, you know, I'm guessing what you're saying is, okay, maybe they, they accepted Christ as their savior and then, you know, got in a car accident or something, you know, and they haven't done any good works. I mean, what, what do you do there? Well, I mean, again, good works has nothing to do with salvation, not your good works, uh, but God's work through Christ on your behalf. And so... Uh, on that sense, yeah, you'd be saved. But it seems like the question that was sent in was really focused more on the idea of, okay, if I'm saved, no, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong no, here. No, I think I kind of messed that up. But yeah, I think. But if but, I'm saved and I'm saved by grace and I don't have to do anything to earn it, well, then why do anything at all? Like, can't I just spend the rest of my life doing whatever I want? Mm-hmm. Um, would, that Yeah, let's go that route. Can uh, you? Can you spend the rest of your life doing what you want? Right. And. You know, and, and I think what's being asked then is, you know, can can you, uh, you know, go on sinning so that, as Paul would say, so that grace can abound, right? And and Paul has to deal with this question uh, in the churches that he's overseeing, and you and you see him addressing this uh, quite a bit. Not just Paul, um, but uh, James, the brother of Jesus, deals with this as well. Uh, but he comes at it from a different perspective that confuses a lot of people. Where James would say, "Listen, uh, faith without works is dead." And and people will struggle with that then because they'll say, well, what, well, which is it? You know, is it grace or is it works? Like, you know, what what is it? And, and to me, um, I think marriage is just such a helpful example of the gospel. And you see this again through the gospels that uh, the New Testament that Jesus is constantly referred to as as the. Uh, and the church is constantly referred to as the bride of Christ, and you see this ma- marriage illustration continually used, and I think it's a helpful one. And it works quite simply that when my wife and I, Nancy and I, got married, we got married not because of you know what great things that she's done or will do in the future, because by the way, that's called a contract, mm. and it, the the New Testament is the new covenant. It's not a it's not the new contract. It's the new covenant. And a, a covenant relationship is not a contractual relation. It's not a series of clauses, you know, if if you do this, if you do that, you know, then this will happen. Uh, the, the gospel is based on a relationship. It's a, it's a covenant in which uh, we have a relationship with God, not by anything that we have done or can do, but simply because we are loved by God and the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. And so, that then is is the grace that has been extended to us that by faith we can have a relationship with God. And in the same way that I can, you know, when I marry my wife, when I married her, I didn't I didn't marry her based on a contract. I, be, I married her based on a covenant, that this was a covenant where she was extending to me her love. And I had the the joy of receiving that and, and, and embracing that. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it, right? Is that she loves me. It's not conditional. It's mm-hmm. it, it's the fact that she loves me, right? Now, here's the question then. Is in that marriage relationship or the relationship that we have with God, what what do we do in in light of that? So what do I do in light of the fact that my wife loves me? Do I not love her? Do I cheat on her? Do I, you know, do whatever I I, I want to do, you know, never come home? You know, not watch, you know, not help with, you know, the kids or whatever, you know, you know, the list can go on. Totally. And as you know, I mean, that would be a contract, right? She could take me back to the contract and be like, you know, 
I did this, I did this, you're not doing this, this, and this. And it's like, no, 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 this isn't a contract. This is a covenant. This is a relationship. And a relationship, when somebody loves you, and I think this is actually way more powerful than a contract. When somebody loves you and they love you unconditionally, this this inspires us to love each other back. This is this is how a relationship works. This is how a, a covenant works, is we remain faithful to one another uh, because of uh, not that, and this is critical in Christianity, we, we love God not because of how great we are, but as uh, John explains in First John, we love because we were first loved by God. God loved us, and in doing so, he's taught us and inspired us uh, and helped us so that we can love him. We Not because I have to, this is critical, and I think this is what James is getting at, mm-hmm. uh, but because I want to, that works will follow not because it has to, because you've you've already got grace, yeah. uh, but because you want to because of the grace you've received. Yeah. And this is where I think a lot of people get it wrong. And they can even get this wrong in marriage as well. I love my wife not because I have to. Uh, I love her because I want to. And this is the kind of relationship that we're in. It's a covenant relationship, not a contractual relationship. Dude, I like that. And I like what you said about it inspires you to want to do it. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah, for sure, if you if you're uninspired to love your wife back, that might mean that uh, you might not really love her. Yeah. And I think it's the same with God, and that's going to strain the relationship. That's right. I mean, I mean, think about any relationship where you, you're you not receiving anything back. I mean, what would you start to think? Mm-hmm. Do you actually love me? Mm-hmm. And I think this is where that question then can get rooted is, listen, if, if you claim to have a relationship with God, but, but you don't love God and you don't love people, that God loves. God loves people. I mean, like, if you don't love what God loves, you have to start to ask yourself, do I, do I actually love God? Am I actually in a relationship with God? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's that you actually have a contractual relationship with God. Yeah. And which it, is religion. Isn't it? That's right, which is yeah. religion. And, and I think that's something that we need to think about. Uh, so just to come back to it then, it means that... Uh, you're not loving God because you have to. We love God because we want to. And in loving God, in loving people, it's, it, it is a further testament to the relationship, the covenantal relationship that we have with God. And yeah, I don't know if I could have said it any better. In fact, that was just brilliant. So thank you for that. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, you're welcome. Here's some money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you, I brought you Daniel said $10. You said $10, Andy. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Andy did bring down banana bread which uh, I'm a big sucker for. So if you want to bring in banana bread to the extra podcasts, mail that in. That's the way to win Daniel's heart. And I would like the listeners to know that he is single. He is uh, available. Is that actually true? Are you? Yes. Okay. I thought, oh, man. You literally do this every time. We should sign off now. We should sign off now. (laughs) This has been a great radio show. And uh, just as, you know, we talk about loving God, we love doing this podcast. And, we sure uh, do, Daniel. If we didn't love doing this podcast, we wouldn't be here doing it, would we? <laughs> or maybe it's a contract. I don't know. Those are the mysteries that we seek to unlock next week on our live radio show on the program. Thank you for listening, and we shall chat next week. <laughs>